Hello, and welcome. My name is Matt Peterson. This is episode 7 of History on the Table. Okay, here we go. It is June, uh, and it's just about mid-June, which means that we just wrapped up Next War Con, uh, the first year of Next War Con here in Kansas City. Uh, I'll talk in detail about that a little more later on, but overall I think it was a great, great turnout. Uh, and had a good couple of days just playing a lot of Next War. Other than that, since since our last time we, we got together, the only the only really thing that went on was we had another Kansas City game day, which which I'll talk a, a little bit about. Um, played four or five games that day and had a pretty strong turnout. Um, I'm happy with it. Other than that, it's been pretty quiet uh, all around, at least here in Kansas City. No news or updates really to report on. I don't recall seeing anything over the last month from any developers or design companies that's particularly intriguing i'm sure some news was announced here or there but nothing caught my eye so <clears throat> we'll not waste any more time on on that topic and just get into uh some new games on the shelf so nothing since you know so much time passed between april and may those episodes not a not a whole lot of turnaround between May and June here, but there are a couple things that are, are worth mentioning. Um, one is Silver Bayonet from GMT Games. Uh, much like Next War, the Next War series, the designers on that are Gene Billingsley and Mitchell Land, and it has some great map artwork by Charles Kibler. I'm not as familiar with Charles Kibler, but the the map does look look pretty great it's funny enough i i picked up a copy at so every attendee of next war con you know received a gift card to the local game store that we played at which is called tabletop game and hobby there in overland park if you're ever in the kansas city area looking for a great game store i highly highly recommend it they have a great game room that's that's free to play all of that stuff a, a great selection of games anyways they had a copy of silver bayonet and um, it's been something I'd been debating getting for a while, but too little time, too many games. But that gift card was burning a hole in my pocket. So that's on the shelf. I actually got to play it that, that day, or I guess the, the day after I bought it, I sat down with uh, Mitch Land, who came to the convention, and we played a little a little tiny bit of of that. I'll talk about that here. Oh, shit, whatever. I guess the order doesn't matter. We're on the topic so the game itself comes with you know the full campaign game on the big fold out uh cardboard or not cardboard the uh the mounted map board and then it also has several little one page games or scenarios that you play so if you want to do just a small LZ x-ray which is if you've ever seen we were soldiers that's landing zone x-ray right let's just say you want to do a small scenario focus exact just on that particular landing zone um you can and you know you start off with you know a half dozen counters on each side and it's i don't know six hexes by six hexes maybe it's even smaller by that but you just play on this one printout this one sheet of cardstock to play this one really small scenario 
so we sat down and he kind of taught me the game and we just played through I don't know, a couple turns before I actually I wasn't able to stay for the whole convention unfortunately I turned 30 on Saturday and as much as I wanted to spend my birthday playing next work on I did promise my wife that she would get one day with me for my birthday so I took off early in the morning but I did spend that morning playing silver bayonets that's on the shelf I really liked what I saw there's kind of two modes of attack in that game one more or less is geared at forcing retreats and it is odds based so you're comparing combat you know attack strength against defense strength and then the other is uh, just an attack to try to cause some step losses and that is just the defender fires based off their defense strength and the attacker fires based off their attack strength there's no odds comparison a pretty neat little game i'm sure i'll talk about it more in future episodes um and then in addition right before the convention started uh you may recall last episode i spent a little bit of time talking about my time at donkey con in st louis one game they played while i was there was in i don't remember which entry in the series they actually played but they a group one night pulled out a small scenario from the Grand Tactical series, uh, which is a series from Multiman Publishing. It used to be designed by Adam Starkweather. Adam Starkweather has since moved on to Compass to kind of work on a successor series. And now, so I, the box here, uh, Joseph Chaikin is the Operation Mercury designer, which is a game that I picked up. Uh, so Operation Mercury is the German invasion of Crete. Uh, early in the war, there's like something, I don't know, th- 30,000 British troops on the island, and it's kind of their their defense uh, of the island. So I find the topic interesting. I know I've mentioned before that I, Sicily is a, is a topic that I'd like to gain more. It's a favorite World War II topic of mine. I think island defenses are kind of neat and so this should fit fit neatly into that but this whole this whole series if you didn't gather from the name the grand tactical series is this very large series so i think the full campaign sorry the box is making some noise here i don't know how many maps the full campaign of operation mercury uses but it comes with five 22 by 34 maps and then two 17 by 22 maps and two eight and a half and 11 maps. So that's quite a bit of, of maps. That's nine maps in this box. Uh, and then it's got eight counter sheets. So there's quite a bit going on. Um, I maybe watched five minutes of this played at donkey con, um, before being distracted by some other fantastic game being played or something. It looks neat. And, uh, someone just happened to be selling a copy for uh, for a price that I thought was pretty good and uh, figured, hey, what the heck, I'll check this series out. So the series is based off of an old Victory game series, one I'm not familiar with, I hadn't even heard of. It was called Panzer Command. I don't know if Adam Starkweather was the designer of that or someone was before and he took that design and modernized it for MMP or what. But I have heard this this series often described as kind of like the Overlooked series and a series that doesn't get enough love. Uh, I always hear good things, but it's not, you know, it's not OCS and it's not ASL. 
and so it, it doesn't get a ton of love. Um, but I think it'll be worth checking out. But I don't really know what I'm getting into other than a very large game. But I think it'd be cool to one weekend, like at a Casey meetup, something like that, get the full campaign set up, see how far we can get. Okay, that that's about it uh, as far as games going on the shelf. I'm sure there was some more RPG stuff that I grabbed and put on the shelves, but that's that's it. It's it's been pretty quiet. Um, there is some stuff coming between now and July that I'm going to be really excited to talk about. Two kind of uh, massive games, in my opinion. Um, but I, I'll leave that little spoiler that I'm sure you're dying to know uh, for next month's episode. Okay, books on the shelf. So I, I'm reading several things, but I think it said last episode. I'm just going to kind of save... The books I talk about until I'm actually done, you know, because I'm still reading that the Washington's Crossing book that I started several months ago. And just because I'm reading it really slowly, so I'm not I'm not just going to start talking about a book and just provide you updates every month. So I'll, I'll save this for books that I've, I have read. Um, nothing historical lately that I've finished. I did wrap up two sci-fi books, um, and I'll just mention them briefly. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about them. One is Red Shirts by John Scalzi. So John Scalzi wrote or is writing, I think the series is still ongoing. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's done. It's been on my to-read list for a long time, Old Man's War. I haven't started that yet, but I did get on a little bit of a Star Trek kick lately. And so I watched Red Shirts, or uh, sorry, excuse me. I read Red Shirts by John Scalzi, and that was pretty funny. And it was it was really quick read. You know, the whole premise is... Uh, the original Star Trek, a red shirt was a character that showed up and they didn't, they didn't matter. They were just there to die or have something terrible happen to them. And so the premise of this book is this group figures out that they're red shirts. And, and the whole, the book starts out really funny just with how the crew members react around who your main characters would be in, you know, pick your favorite Star Trek series of choice. Um, you know, and it's, it's they figure it out and they figure out when you know those characters come around you you go do something it's uh it's pretty funny i think once the plot starts to actually develop and it starts telling the story it it kind of loses some of the comedy it still has some really funny moments but like the first half of the book was really funny and then even when it slowed down it just re it read so quickly that i i didn't mind that i was I was kind of done with it. The joke had worn out a little bit, but like I said, it reads fast enough. I, I think it's still worth it. And then just real quickly, I'll add that I read All Systems Red by Martha Wells. All Systems Red is the first book in the Murderbot Diaries. I, I think it was the series it's called Murderbot something. Anyways, they're like short little novellas. They don't take very long to read at all, but it's pretty good sci-fi. And the whole premise of this book is... Uh, this basically kind of android, half-human, half-robot thing has removed its governor chip, it, it, the thing that keeps it in check. and uh, But it still operates like it wants to protect humans. Um, it, and it's it's quick, it's good. It, it leaves a little bit, like, you got to piece a little bit of it to, to yourself. Um, it doesn't answer all of your questions, but there, there's a series out there. Uh, I definitely recommend checking out. It's not the best sci-fi book I've ever read, but... You know, your investment is so low because you're only reading, you know, less than 150 pages. Uh, but that's it. That's it for books over the last month. 
let's talk about some games I've played. So it's been since the last episode passed. Like I said, we had a K- uh, Kansas City game day come and go, and that was a good time. We of course had Next War Con, and then I played a, a few other things. I already talked about Silver Bayonet, um, so I don't need to address that. Um, I will mention one other game that I did play very briefly at Next War Con. And this is an interesting one. This is Blood in the Fog from Hollenspiel. Uh, I believe it's designed by Mark Russell. And I think I have mentioned this game in the past, in past episodes. And I think I mentioned it because it is... It had a pretty interesting map, um, which I still like the map. Uh, we played for about all of 15 minutes, and it was kind of later in the evening, uh, just winding down. And it it, intro- it introduced some interesting concepts where the British-French allies are basically weighing bringing on reinforcements against losing units. So what do I mean by that? The Russian player wins. Okay, let me back up one second before we start talking about how the game works. I'll tell you that Blood in the Fog is the Battle of Inkerman, and it's from the Crimean War. And basically, the Russians attack the Allied forces of the French and British, and they they kind of get their asses kicked. How the game works is the Russian player is trying to eliminate... British and French units completely, not just cause step losses, but take the unit marker off the map. And if those, and that's tracked as victory points, and if those victory points ever pass the strength of the Allied forces, the Russian player wins. So the British player is kind of balancing this, well, do I bring on more forces to deal with the Russians, but that also gives them more opportunities to kill units? Um, the one thing that the Allies have going for them is that their rifles were much deadlier than what the Russians had. And that's tracked a little bit just by the the range that the Allied player has. The Russian, for the most part, their their militia have like a range of two. And so it's it's kind of a cool story where you have the these Brits cut off and the Russians try to uh crush the British and French and really um, just things don't go well. And so it's a pretty cool story, but I don't know how well the game works yet. They chose to do a couple of interesting things here. Let's start with the fact that step losses are tracked by counters underneath your unit counter. So on top you have your unit counter, and under it, let's say it's a... Well, I guess it would be a five-step unit. So you have the front of the unit counter and the back of the unit counter, and then to indicate those are two steps, front and back, right? So if it takes a step loss, you flip it to its backside to show it's got one more step left. Well, if it's a five-step unit, you put three markers underneath it. And these are Hollenspiel Blue Panther markers, so they're thick wooden markers, you know, almost blocks. And... It just becomes kind of the hexes aren't huge in this map. And so like the Russian tenth starts massed together. And I think all of those units have, except for one, 
have three steps underneath their markers. So you have like a cluster of five guys in close proximity to each other stacked four deep, the unit marker and the three extra step markers under it. Now, I think that's an easy fix on the player's end. You just make a little printout of the markers and, and keep track on your own. I, I mean, other games do that, right? Operation Pegasus does it. Um, I've seen people do it in line of battle. I don't know if that's included or if that's just a custom thing they do. But it, it's kind of a pain. It's, it's a little bit of a pain. Again, we only paid, played for 10 or 15 minutes, but that's that's what we got to see. There's some other... Combat is a little interesting, like like how it's resolved. Uh, there's two types. You can conduct a charge, which basically forces a retreat and probably will conduct, will cause casualties on both sides. But basically, you're always comparing the number of steps under the unit and some modifiers. And then sometimes there's die rolls on, uh, you know, like by the defender. Some Like if the defender's taking fire, they roll a die or... And so the main, the most important thing you're considering is the steps of the unit. I'm going to spend a little bit of time with this game before I pass complete judgment on it. But what I don't know if what works yet is the combat. So we did a few rounds of both um, before we called it a night. Not, not because we were disgusted with the game. I think once we got the game down... Once we got the right way to count the steps and how to resolve the combat, I think it made a little more sense. Uh, we wrapped up the night because it was late and we had been playing next war all day. Anyways, for for spending only however long playing it, I've spent just about as much time talking about it. So I'm not ready to pass complete judgment on it. I will spend a little bit more time on it uh, just because I'm curious to see if this works. The one thing that doesn't work is the stacking. I just think in a map, you need to make the hexes bigger. I think if you're going to go with that approach, if you're going to have six steps stacked four deep of thick counters, you got to give them room to operate. Okay, so I played another... I know last time I talked about the U.S. Civil War game I played, but I wrapped up a in a vassal play I had been playing for the last few months, and I more or less did the exact same thing uh, I left my middle wide open. This time it was Pennsylvania, and he came right in my back door. And I think my problem was I did some interesting things here, and this is my first time playing the advanced game. I tried to get creative in Florida, which I don't think was my downfall. I think the Florida was, was an okay approach, and I had landed in South Carolina, and I think that was going to cause some problems for the Confederate player. But I sent both Burnside and Grant deep into southeast Tennessee. Um, and then the Confederate player drove north into Kentucky with Johnson. And so between Grant and Burnside and then dealing with the threat in Kentucky, that basically took all of my western SPs between those three leaders, armies, if you will. And at the meantime, so Burnside normally where, where I had him at the start of the game once he came on is I had him in West Virginia. Um, and then I drove him down from West Virginia into Kentucky uh, or into Tennessee. And as he left West Virginia, Longstreet stormed over from Virginia, captured the state of West Virginia, and then was free to drive on Pennsylvania. Now, 
on the last turn of the game, I had reinforcements come on in Ohio, and they came over to Pennsylvania, and they tried to drive Longstreet out, but I just wasn't successful enough in my battle. I think we had a tie result in the battle, which means the defender doesn't have to retreat, and that was just enough points to be able to force automatic victory. So basically how that game works is, again, if, if you, the Union player doesn't capture enough uh, resource hexes from the Confederate player, the political pressure of the war basically mounts and Lincoln loses the election. And that's considered a loss for the Union player. And so that's happened to me twice now. Uh, last time it was someone driving through Ohio and Indiana, and this time it was someone driving through Pennsylvania. But I'm not mad about that. I, I think it was, my, it was my own fault. I mean, the, the Confederate player did a great job, Mark. He did a great job of identifying the weaknesses, where he could drive with Longstreet, where he could seize points, and, you know, stir up some trouble. But I tried to get a little too cute with shit in the West. And that's... But I like that. I like that I can explore... You know, as a Union player or the Confederate player, I can explore these different strategies and approaches that weren't explored in the actual conflict, right? So, you know, Grant can ignore the Mississippi, which is more or less what I tried. I left Thomas over there to basically hold off and mess with the Confederates from driving up on Cairo. And I sent Grant deep down into Tennessee with Burnside. And it was successful until Johnson turned around, came back and stomped Grant. And then Rosecrans, I'm sorry, not Rosecrans, Braxton Bragg was able to amass uh, a nice um, force from eastern Tennessee and far eastern Tennessee. And then Kirby Smith came up from kind of central, south central Tennessee and dealt with Burnside. So at that point, Burnside and Grant had to fall back uh, to the Cumberland Gap and head north into Kentucky because at that point there's no way to quickly supply them while the Confederate players able to very quickly s supply and reinforce. Not supply wasn't an issue, but uh, reinforce with strength points in those locations. Anyways, that telling that story to me is what I love so much about that U.S. Civil War game, right? The fact that what I just explained happened, that's a neat story to me, and it's a neat thing to be able to explore and then, you know, the same thing, I don't, I don't remember who I sent to lead the, the forces down in South Carolina and Florida, but, um, you know, historically the, the force in Florida didn't go so well for, uh, the union when, when they first tried to basically they way overextended and got their asses kicked. And so I was trying to turn that around and have my own success in Florida. So again, still, it's just a fantastic game. If you have not played the U S civil war, uh, I, of course, recommend it. It is easily one of my favorite games of all time and the best war game ever made. Okay, let's talk about the KC game day. So before we start talking about Next War and Next War Con, uh, the week before, we had a Kansas City game day at Tabletop Game and Hobby. And kind of what, I've, what I would like to do is just each month alternate between Saturdays and Sundays. So if you're in the area or near the Kansas City area and you listen to this podcast... Once a month, either on a Saturday or Sunday, we will meet up at Tabletop Game and Hobby. I'll post a thread, and if you want to play something specifically, chime in, or if you want to join in a game. Like next month, I'm going to try to put together a game of Angola for Multiman Publishing. 
which is a game I've wanted to play for some time now. It is a true 2v2 hex encounter game. Um, and I think that's that's cool. Uh, and if that doesn't work out, I'm looking for someone to play the line of battle with. Or, as an alternative to that, you just show up and play. Uh, and so last last meetup, we played a game of Root, which, uh, of course, is sweeping the wargaming nation with its popularity. Uh, in all seriousness, it's, it's a pretty good game. It's nice for the fact that you can just teach someone the faction they're going to play real quick and just get up and get going. Um, and it that was probably one of the longer games I've played of Root uh, that we played at, at that meetup. But from what I've seen, it usually ends pretty quick, quickly, especially if the Woodland Alliance isn't kept in check. I kind of egged everyone on to make sure the Woodland Alliance is was dealt with. And so how the Woodland Alliance works in that, they're almost like your counterinsurgency faction from coin they're they're kind of spreading unrest and then revolting against the uh the cats after that we broke into a couple groups Uh, a couple guys rex and zach they broke off and played baptism by fire which i've talked about on this podcast from uh that's the Italian combat series game and two guys and i jim and steve we played triumph and tragedy and Triumph and Tragedy is a pretty neat game that I've had my eye on in the past, but then I kind of forgot about it. And so so Triumph and Tragedy is a game from GMT Games, and it is a three-player game. I'm sure you could play with less, but I think it's probably ideal for three players. One player takes the Western Allies, so uh, the U.S. comes on eventually, the Brits, and they control the French. And then the uh, one player takes Germany, and Italy as well, and then one player takes Russia. And it is a block game with really simple combat. There's a very small chart that says, okay, aircraft is attacking ground units. They roll on a roll of this or less. Uh, And so some things attack stronger than others, and basically there's a priority of, all right, fortifications attack first, then air, then naval, then tanks, then infantry. And... How the game works is there's all these little sub games you kind of have to manage and either not get distracted by or or kind of focus on. Um, So what I think I picked up on our one play is it's hard to do everything. And that's what I mean by getting distracted by things like it's hard. So you could develop nuclear weapons. But if you do that, I, I think you need to go for that. I don't think it's like, oh, I'll kind of passively develop nuclear technology because if you're doing that, you're taking away uh, points that you have available to you each turn uh, to do other things. Uh, and so basically how the turn works is at the beginning of each year, you get some kind of resource to spend. And you can build up those resources by... Uh, attacking or taking control of other countries or building up your industry or um, gaining uh, like natural resources and you use the lowest available to you so if your industry is the lowest and it's at 13 you get 13 points okay you can use those 13 points to build new units you just tick them up on the blocks or put new blocks on there it's pretty easy you can buy Uh, One stack of cards, I don't remember what they're called, but they're basically diplomacy cards and military offensive cards. They do two things. 
You can only use them for one, but they do two things. Or you can take industry cards, and industry cards build up your industry, or they give you new technology, so long-range bombers, nuclear weapons. And so you're getting these cards, and you're spending these points, and then you go back and forth between all three players playing these cards. And so maybe you're using your diplomacy cards to spread influence in, like I was a Russian player, I'll, I'll just say Turkey, right? And then the next player comes along and they influence Turkey. And there's this kind of back and forth, this little miniature diplomacy game where each side is trying to eventually, if you spend enough diplomacy cards on that country, they become yours to control. And you can actually place a unit there in their country. You get their population, you get their resources, all that stuff. And so that's one aspect of it. And that's all without going to war, right? So Russian influence is so strong that they just take over Turkey and it, basically becomes a Russian territory for most intents and purposes. Um, the alternative to that is the Russian player can invade Turkey. Um, but they have to go to war, and if you declare war in a country, that results in you giving more cards to the other players. And so as you play cards, you can pass. And so there's this little miniature game of, okay... I really want to influence Turkey, but I don't really want to tip my hand. And so maybe you're passing for a little bit to see what your opponent does. And then, so you do this and you can spend your industry cards to build up your industry at the same time, or you can develop a technology and it's only one at a time. And you go around the table until everyone passes. And then you go into spring, summer, and fall to conduct your offenses. And those diplomacy cards that you're spending to influence countries, you can save those and they'll say like spring E7 or spring F6. And what that means is uh, if I dedicate a card to spring as a spring offensive and mine says F7, we all flip over our spring cards and whoever is closest to the letter A whoever's first alphabetically gets the first offensive and the number is just how many troops you can activate. And so that's, that's one thing to think about. Well, like, okay, I have two cards here and one is a eight and one is T five. Do I play the a eight, which means I'm going first and that lets me activate eight units or the T five, which means I'm going last, which may be what you want, but I get to activate less. And so that's a nice little, another little sub game going on in triumph and tragedy. And then as you're moving these forces around, you'll deal with combat and there's basically they units have a certain range they can move. And the interesting thing is like, if there's a river that you need to cross. Only so many units can go over the river during that season. Um, and so you either need to find new ways around to get more units in, or you just need to send in a bunch of air, uh, airplanes. And that, that's just another thing of another, uh, aspect that you have to consider. You can't, you can't amass 50 blocks and then send them all across the same border, you know, this, you know, across the, the Rhine, because you can only send two units over the river. And so that that's a nice little thing as well. You you um, but I think it's something you kind of need to see play out um, because I had amassed a lot of troops to kind of backstab. I was the Russian player. The British player was the only one who had played the game before, and so when I saw he was getting ready for Germany, or I think Germany declared war on England, 
He's like, okay, here's my chance. I, as the Russians, will invade India and Burma or China. Um, I guess it's more India. I guess China is not really on the map. And, uh, you know, try to pick up some points that way. Um, but I was very, I had to get over a mountain range, which only let me send in so many units to fight the British player. Whereas, of course, they had built up and amassed and all that stuff. Uh, so it's pretty good. Um, combat is really simple. And it kind of takes a little bit to get through. So if I have, you know, four blocks of infantry and they each have three steps each, you're rolling 12 dice. And you're just kind of rolling against, uh, you need like a three or less if they're attacking other infantry or something. So you're rolling 12 dice to see if you get threes. And it kind of, it takes a little bit of time. I think if you were playing with three people who really knew it, you could kind of expediate it. But it's not very climactic. Um, I'm, I'm a guy who likes charts um, because there's that, oh, here's what I can get. Um, and then, you know, I add all these modifiers and then we'll see where I end up. Um but this is just, I don't know. I'm not, I think it works sometimes in the right game, but I'm not crazy about, oh, you always need to roll under a three to secure a hit. Especially because this seems to drag out a little bit. Anyways, that's Triumph and Tragedy. I could probably um, find a home for it on the list after playing it one time, but I'll give it another go. I thought it was pretty good all around. I really like the fact that there was all those little sub-games to... Right. Do I do I focus on diplomacy and, and try to get a bunch of countries under my regime right off the bat? Or maybe I build up industry like crazy or I just, you know, focus on technology, technology, technology and try to build a nuke and you know win that way. Or do I go crazy? You know, you can go militarily and declare war on people and, and get moving. Um, but all in all, pretty, pretty good game. Um, like I said, it, it, it was a game that. When I heard one podcast or another a couple of years ago, like, oh, that sounds really cool. And I probably got turned off from it just because, it, you know, it's designed to be played with three people. Um, and that, at that point in time, I, I thought a three-player game like that would be really hard for me to get because, uh, you know, my story of getting into war games is my brother and I. Um, but I'm glad Steve brought it and he really knew the wells. I, I knew the rules well. So I'm glad he brought that. I'm glad I got to play it. I think it's I think it's a neat little game. I probably won't track down a copy myself for whatever that's worth. Okay, that is it for games that I played over the last month other than Next War. Yeah, so let's let's talk about Next War Con. Um I guess what we should start with is the Next War series. So, this is a redesign of an older game series. The game is designed by, and the series is designed by, Gene Billingsley and Mitchell Land. And Mark Simonich does the map work. You know, I, I love a good Mark Simonich map and design. The games themselves come with two sets of rules, uh, and they're really different, if you ask me. Uh, and so there's a standard set, which primarily makes the game all about especially in a Pakistan because you don't have any naval. Right. After a brief dog interruption, uh, we're back. And so where was I? The So there's the standard game and the advanced game. The standard game is more primarily about the resolution and ground combat. Um, air has a presence, and you know, theater weapons 
I don't remember if they're in the standard game or not. But with the advanced game, you add in several more phases, um, and you add in a much more detailed strike air resolution. Okay, so <clears throat> in the standard game, the air, you more or less combine air points. And I didn't spend a whole lot of time reading the standard rules on air because I knew we were we were going to be using the advanced rules this weekend. So I'll talk a little bit more about how advanced air works. Uh, and really what happens is both players commit airplanes that kind of face off against each other to establish air superiority. So you go through this whole phase of resolving all this uh, air-to-air combat. Uh, you have dogfights and kind of long-range uh, attacks and all this stuff and then whoever the last man standing or the most man standing gains air superiority which allows you to target you know infantry further in the uh, the opposing player's country for airstrikes and all these things and you work through this whole strike phase you carry out uh, missile attacks and air attacks and artillery attacks and then and so that's a whole detailed phase you kind of carry out in the advanced game and there's some other differences um supply rules are introduced i believe they're an optional rule for the standard game again knowing that we were playing the advanced game i really just kind of looked at the and the note that we were going to be playing india pakistan i looked at the ground combat rules and the movement rules and all that kind of stuff and then i went to the advanced rules so supply is a big thing for the advanced game you have two supply phases each turn um, where you're checking supply and you have you have several different supply sources i i think you have to be a little more imaginative at least in india pakistan so again i'll just add this caveat now my experience is all india pakistan uh, all weekend that's what i focused on i wanted to learn the system before i started branching off into you know poland looks fantastic a lot of people wanted to play poland uh, next war poland this weekend um this last weekend at the convention but i just i wanted to get a good base established before venturing into that anyways so you know compared to something like ocs where obviously supply is a big concern to me i felt like i had to be a little more imaginative in next war just based off how the supply rules work. So in India, Pakistan, in the Kashmir region, there's a lot of mountainous hex that's really hard for uh, your supply to get through if you don't have a road. And so taking that into consideration, um, you know, you can't just go storming across the mountains um, without without supply. So I found that interesting. Okay, so there's there are differences, substantial differences between the standard and advanced game. And the largest is you go from this heavily focused game on ground combat where that's ground is the primary focus um, where to me, my understanding, and, and I could be wrong here because I haven't actually played the standard game. You almost go to equal balance of air and strikes and special force attacks to ground combat in the advanced game. And it's not almost that's, that's how my games played out. Um, Part of it was learning those advanced rules for special force strikes, missile strikes, cruise missile strikes, and air strikes, air to air combat, air defense, all of those things come into play and they're all really enjoyable. And so half of your turn is in time playing is going to be dedicated to that. So it really changes the nature of the game 
and intre- I I like uh, I really liked pushing around the plane counters. Um, not it's not super detailed, you know, air combat. We're not, you know, you're not moving around on an air map and worrying about movement, all of those things. Uh, but it, I think it's pretty cool to see the different planes come into play and kind of how you you play this little mini game of. Right, how do I, what's the best option if I have this ace pilot and a great jet, how do I face him up against the opponent? Do I send him in against this crap jet with a crap pilot to, you know, just take him out of the skies or do I deal with his best air unit? And, and so that's, that's a neat little game with how basically each side gets to match up their planes to resolve air combat. Um, and if you establish enough air superiority, you may get to pick the first four matchups if you know if you're strong enough in air you can say all right these four fighters are going to go off against each other uh before your opponent even gets a say and so th- that's that's pretty neat um so how does the system work um you basically have a sequence of play that is your bible of you just follow it step by step every single time and you go through Um, And so you have, and I may forget some things here, basically you establish whether the turn is an initiative turn or a contested turn. And that really changes how the game plays out. And I very quickly learned that initiative was really important. An initiative turn is much longer than a contested turn because you have have a lot more movement in combat segments. And also the, you you have extra strike phases and uh, special force phases and and all of that stuff. Um, So you determine if it's a contested turn or initiative turn initiative, it goes to the player who basically gets enough points past the initiative victory points marker. So in the game, the scenario we were playing those 20 points. So if the, if either side captured 20 points, they seize initiative. If both do, you just kind of see who got more. And so what the point of this game is, is you're, you are trying to destroy and capture units, airplanes, town or yeah, towns, airfields, air bases, nuclear facilities, urban hexes, all of these things. Um, basically, if you're doing good things, you're going to score victory points. And so scoring 25 points in a turn. Um, so the night before I was clipping counters and I was just watching YouTube videos in this guy on YouTube had said that, you know, he had a 25 point turn to start off the game. And I was like, wow, 25 points. That, that seems like a lot, but you know, you, you pick up quite a points, you pick up quite a few points along the way. So a city will be worth a certain amount of points and maybe there's an airfield there. So that's, and that itself is also worth points and maybe you killed guys along the way. Well, that's worth points. So you're picking up points throughout the turn and <coughs> How India-Pakistan works is, well, I guess I was describing the sequence of play, but since I started down this this train, India-Pakistan, uh, Pakistan comes on in the scenario we are playing. They kick things off. They have the initiative, and the India player just kind of takes it in the teeth until their reinforcements roll on. Let's go back to how the game actually flows real quick. So you have the initiative turn then the initiative players, whoever has initiative, they really kind of have the advantage for the turn. They'll have an extra movement and attack before the non-initiative player can really do anything. So they'll move and attack twice. One of those attacks, they'll have some column shifts penalizing them for that. Anyways, okay, so they'll have special forces attacks, 
and then and I may forget some phases here. Um, and then you carry out air attacks, and then the opposing player may have special forces attacks, and then um, you'll have a supply phase, and then you'll start moving troops. And then as you move troops, you declare all your con you declare your combat and resolve them. And then um, I think you have another strike phase. So more missiles, more jets, and then you do a movement phase. And then you have another supply phase, and then you kind of have this administrative phase points, and um, you have to clear out towns and all that, or cities and all that stuff. That is the very quick rundown of the um, initiative sequence of play. A contested turn is much more abbreviated. You just have the one movement and attack phase. Um, and then, so let me talk about combat real quick because ground combat is one of my favorite things in this game. I think it's one of my favorite ground combat resolutions that I've seen to date. And it's for s several reasons. One, the column shifts are, are pretty kind of typical stuff that you've, you may have seen in other stuff. Um, you column shifts for being more efficient, a higher efficiency rating than your opposing troops. Um, you get column shifts for maybe the defenders in this particular type of terrain, but also the scenario provides some column shifts and probably for, oh, artillery provides a column shift. Um, so you can either outright strike and deal damage and put strike markers, which that's a whole nother thing that you'll learn about as you play this game. You can outright conduct a strike with artillery, or you can save them up for a whole column shift, which to me, that's pretty neat. You're constantly weighing the resources available to you. And I don't mean uh, resources in the sense of money or, you know, Euro resources. You're not worrying about wood and, you know, wheat here. Um, the resources in, okay, I want to carry out a strike with my jets but i also want them for combat support or my helicopters my artillery my hqs all of those things can contribute to combat but they're also crucial for hindering your opponent by carrying out strikes so you're constantly weighing these things um the combat resolution table is really interesting so if you have a great attack as the attacker all the numbers are in red and basically, let's say I cause four step losses to my opponent. And let's say he does one to me. And that's the resolution, right? One, four. Okay, one to the attacker, four to the defender. Let's say the defender only has three steps. Well, since he couldn't carry out all four of those step losses, the attacker doesn't have to take his step loss. Uh, to me, that's really interesting. And one of my favorite things in the combat resolution this game is let's say I'm attacking with... Uh, 19 to 5, right? My attack is 19. His uh, defense is 5. Okay, not quite 4 to 1. but So we would be on the 3 to 1 odds column. We're all, we're all familiar with how that works in you know, just about every other war game. The thing I love about this game is you get a die roll modifier for that remainder, which means that you're not super crunching every combat resolution to get that perfect 20. Yeah, it's great if you do, and if you kick in an HQ, you can have the HQ factor into the combat. Um, and so all that's great, and it, it's just, it's a die roll modifier, and it's just nice. Like, it doesn't, like, you don't bitch about, like, oh, damn, I have, 
I'm one away from an even better attack. Well, you get punished or you get rewarded a little bit for having a stronger attack, and I I really like that. Um, and so as the combats carry out, you can you can send in attack helicopters and you can send in planes and all and all that stuff. And what's what's interesting is I can commit that air to help me out, um, but there's always a risk. Um, it's a little bit like OCS where your air missions are subject to flak fire, but here you may be you may be subject to SAM fire or AAA anti-air fire, or the, your opponent may have left jets around to scramble as interceptors, so they could intercept the combat support mission and attack those planes and either cause them to abort or cause die roll modifiers that cancel out the the die roll modifiers you're trying to apply all of those things and it all comes together in a really neat neat package um i will say it is it's a lot i think it it really helped to one i was fortunate enough to see how air played out before i went to the convention at ground combat is if you're if you have played through you know similar war games of this scale I, I think I, I don't think anyone would really have a problem getting through ground combat um, it's very enjoyable ground combat but it's not very complex um, and it's not you know so far off the deep end that it's all new concepts that you're you're trying to learn uh, so I had the advantage of learning air and also be, because of the nature of playing it you know a convention dedicated to next door there were a ton of resources open whether it was Mitch Land present you know answering questions he was just kind of a floating um, moderator most of the weekend I know he played some next war Poland but uh, he was there really help excuse me really helpful answering a lot of questions uh, so that helped to learn it but once you once you get through that air phase for the first time I I think it's just that kind of cliche of you just need to see it carried out Um. And there's some great resources um, out there that that walk you through everything. And I, I like I said, I had a great teacher teaching me the air phase, and then there were a ton of helpful people on hand. But overall, I didn't, I didn't think that the advanced rules were impossible by by any means. So overall, I think I think it's it's pretty easy to tell when when someone talks about a game or a series with. Well, to me, that feels like a lot of passion and excitement. Maybe it didn't come across to you that way that they have uh, that they really enjoy the game, and I did. Um, I I plan on spending a lot more time with the next War series. There's several entries now. Um, Korea is being reprinted. That was the first one. Taiwan was the second one. Um, then we had Next War, India, Pakistan. Then we had Poland, and then Vietnam which will come out eventually. And so you can do some crazy stuff with, you can combine Taiwan and Korea, and then eventually Vietnam will plug into that. And it's a, it's a really rewarding series. I think if you're, if you're willing to commit and, you know, give it a go and work through those rules, you're going to be rewarded. Uh, it's well-designed. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. <clears throat> so let's talk about before we, um, before we pluck this baby on the, every war game ever list. Let's talk about the convention. 
because uh, that was the whole point of doing this episode was kind of recapping the convention. So I stated before we played at Tabletop Game and Hobby here in Overland Park, and we got started early each day and um, stayed late Friday night, and then we went out. Not everyone, but several of the attendees went out to a group dinner on, on Saturday night. Uh, a lot of Kansas City barbecue was had over the the weekend, and I had iced down a cooler of beer. I was a little disappointed with the amount of beer that was drunk, and by that I mean I went home with way too much beer, but um, there could be worse things in life. Um, we had about uh, 16 attendees. Our cap was 20, and I, I want to say we had four, four or five people cancel, uh, but it kind of ended up being uh, a nice amount. I think it, it really worked out with um, tabletop in that space, we were essentially able to use, put one game on each of the tables we were allotted. Um, I was optimistic and hoping we would get two games on each table, but I think if we had gone that route, it would have been overcrowded. Um, anyways, the main focus of the convention seemed to be next war India, Pakistan and next war Poland. Those were the only two, uh, next war games played, uh, with a strong emphasis for next war Poland. Um, so Friday, there were two next war India Pakistan games going on. And then the same thing on Saturday, Sunday, one next war India Pakistan game and three next war Poland games, I believe. So I had to take off early on Sunday, which was too bad. I didn't get to hang out with everyone all day. Um, so there's a lot of, there's some pretty good stories from the games. I know, um, we had a group of guys come down from New Jersey and I don't, um, I, I'll try not to use anyone's name here because I didn't get their permission, but um, essentially they work for the uh, United States military and they use Next War. And um, my understanding is they illustrate to um, the, the people they're using the game with is, all right, this is how this particular weapon or item or whatever you're developing, let's see how it's played out actually in a game concept. So, I don't know, a new jet. I, and I, I don't know if they're building jets or whatever. I, I doubt it. Um, anyways, let's see how it plays out or this new whatever. You get, you get the, Basically, they're trying to show them this is how what you're designing and developing would actually play out. And I, I think that's a really fascinating concept. Anyways, these two guys came down from, from New Jersey. Yeah, super great guys. One of them in particular was very passionate about war games, and uh, I sat across from him at lunch one day, and then early Saturday, he, he talked about games with me, and I, I just sat there and listened for the most part as he talked about all these game systems. He obviously really likes war games, and so now that he's able to, you can tell that he is very happy to be able to implement war gaming in his career, which is pretty impressive to me. Anyway, so these guys set up Next War Poland, and... Uh, <laughs> Right off the bat, uh, three cruise missiles, three strikes on the uh, aircraft carrier, and he, he sunk an aircraft carrier right off the bat in in next war Poland. And then so Rex and I, we played a game on Saturday, and it was just this, the, the Indians were just getting stomped. And so I split off a group to the west just to kind of counterattack and draw some attention, capture some victory point cities, just distract the, the Pakistanis. And uh, 
before he could get reinforcements there, his solution was, I'm just going to blow up the bridge. Well, to make sure that happened, I think he committed like three missile strikes or something like that, which is when you play next war or if you've played next war, you, you know that like that's a pretty heavy commitment for, for a bridge um, because he didn't have a, a force present to be able to blow it during the normal die roll blows. Uh, so he blew the bridge. I ended up with a, a, uh, a tank brigade I guess, or an armory brigade across the river. So I ran an HQ up there and a few turns later, I finally established an HQ bridge. And, uh, by that point he had Chinese cruise missiles. Uh, so which are uh, pretty lethal. Uh, and you're limited as the Pakistani player to one a turn. And so instead of allocating those resources elsewhere on the map, like in Amritsar, which is a major urban hex that he did not crack before we called in a game, they held out very strong. Uh, he committed a cruise missile and two more missile strikes uh, to blowing the new bridge that had just been put in place and uh, failed. Uh, we were able to get the uh, reestablished supply with the the armored brigade across the river. and It was just things like that. On Sunday, I know a nuke was launched. Um, I wasn't present to actually hear what happened or how it came across, but it, it took three days before we, see, we saw some nuclear activity. I did try bombing some nuclear facilities in one of my Indian Pakistan games, but by the time I wasn't really given the opportunity to, to continue the attack because I had to divert resources elsewhere, you know, like going back to the point earlier of there's this really great game of managing your resources and all right, here's this thing I want to do for a lot of points, but I need this strike elsewhere to slow this guy down or deter him from attacking or cut off supply. And so, yeah, it was uh, a great turnout, a lot of great people. Um, so I had, other than Donkey Kong and recruits here in Kansas City, which was a lot of gaming with people I either knew personally or knew through online gaming. We had played games on Vassal together, that type of thing. And so for Next War Con, it was primarily people... I'd never met, I'd never talked to, so I didn't know what to expect. And I got to say, it was it was great talking to every single person that came. Um, I was able to spend a lot more time with, you know, you can't spend time with everyone. That's just the nature of it. And you just, the first day I spent a lot of time with the guy I was playing Indian Pakistan with. Uh, his name was Joe. He's a guy local here in Kansas City. I said I wasn't going to use names. I'll stop doing that. Um so I got to, you know, talk to him and talk about all these things. And then uh, the guys down from New Jersey was fascinating, picking their minds. And then, you know, hearing they would they would talk with Mitch about how they're they're using Next War um, in their practice and um, or in their careers. And then, you know, to hear Mitch say, uh, you may be aware there's an article out on GMT, I think, or it was posted on the GMT Facebook page about using Next War. Uh, the Marines are using the next war at Quantico. And so it was interesting to hear how the Marines are using next war and how these guys from New Jersey are using it. And then there was, we were scheduled to have a few guys up from Fort Leavenworth. Only one of them was able to attend, but it sounds like he wants to also use next war in the classroom. He teaches there uh, on Fort Leavenworth. Um, we had people from Atlanta and Houston and DC and so it was a great mix of people. Obviously, we had people from, you know, St. Louis and the greater Kansas City metro area. So it was a great, 
mix of people. I was really happy with the group. Excuse me. Speaking of leftover beer, I'm, I'm enjoying this uh, Four Hands Brewing Company uh, coffee stout that I had brought and have plenty left over. So overall, I was really happy with how everything turned out. Um, I think Tabletop was a great venue uh, to be at. For people who weren't familiar with Tabletop, I think they, they all had great things to, to say. And then, you know, over the weekend, there was a number of times where people came out, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I used to play, you know, oh, Avalon Hill games way back in the day. And I would, you know, tell them, like, oh, we're doing a monthly meetup in Kansas City. So that happened a, a couple times. It was good. It was really good. Oh, we had someone, Chris, um, I'll mention his name because he was, uh, it was kind of a joint deal between uh, Chris and Mitch and myself, uh, me being the guy on the ground in Kansas City and working with Chris, who is kind of his idea with Mitch, uh, who designed the game. And so he came down from Lincoln and overall it was, uh, it was a great time and it was a great way to celebrate a, a 30th birthday. So I think what I need to do now is find a home on this big list of games for Next War India Pakistan. I'm not going to rank the whole s- series. Um, there's definitely enough difference between each of the games. Just abs- I I don't doubt it for a second. So we're just going to do Next War India Pakistan. Uh, the game is great. Like I said, now I haven't played through a full game, but. It's the same thing with Beyond the Rhine. I mean, I spent two days playing Next War, and I saw the the thing I haven't seen yet with India-Pakistan is in the scenario I played, I played the same scenario both days, uh, we didn't get to the point where India storms back onto the map, and now it's their turn to, to try and take back what the Pakistanis took. Um, but everything else I got to see other than the optional rules that we didn't use so I, I feel comfortable enough to to find a good good spot for uh, for this on the list. So one thing I want to mention, and I think that'll get us started on, and just a reminder. the The top of the list right now is basically Normandy forty four and up. Hold fast, Korea is kind of sitting there in the middle, and then we kind of have the the stragglers with with Titan and Zeppelin Raider. Uh, I will repeat that this is one of the best combat resolution designs that I've played. Loved it. Um, I really enjoy ground combat in this game. Uh, the The time is a little lengthy, but I think that's just more on me than it is the system. I got through two turns both days. I, I could have gotten through more on Friday, but for whatever reason, I just had a killer headache. And um, once I finally got to Madville, it went away, but it was, it was kind of late and, at that point, I just said, well, this is a good place to call it. And so we, we could have gotten pretty, I think, a, a good way into turn three on that first game. Anyways, so the length, that's a knock against it. Um, let's be fair here. But I think part of that is just being a new player. I think you could really uh, sail along if once you know those rules. Um, so great combat. Uh, the combat resolution is better than Battle Him. So that puts it in the top three, which means is it better than Beyond the Rhine and is it better than U.S. Civil War? Uh, U.S. Civil War is my favorite game of all time. So it, it is not better. Well, that sounds so bad to say it's not better. Uh, 
they're completely different games. Um, oh, I, I have got to talk about this because it, it's I have such high praise for this in U.S. Civil War. Um, every game is different. Even in India, Pakistan, with I saw the same scenario started and played four times. It was started twice on Friday and started twice on Saturday, and it played out differently. One of the cool things about that scenario is there is pre-game movement. And so you can kind of dictate where you are going to go. You know, are you going to focus on Kashmir? Are you going to focus on Amritsar? Where are you going to focus as the Pakistani player? You know, my opponent on um, Saturday, he drove heavy in kind of the northwest. Uh, I assume that's northwest basically the top right corner of the map in Kashmir and focused on cutting off supply up there. And then he, so he kind of drove east then down. Whereas I on Friday um, focused on the open terrain in the west side where armor gets a huge advantage. And then also focused on establishing bridges over the, uh, the major river there and to drive on Amritsar. Um, and instead of dealing with the marsh and going head on into the Indian forces, I kind of flinked around, established my own bridge and sent a, um, I guess a core, sorry, I'm not great with military terms, whatever it is, all of the orange units across my little bridge. And so having so many points, victory points open to you and having that kind of where no game, okay, and there's a finite limit of possibilities of how the game could start but you won't start the game the same each turn based off how you conduct this pre-turn movement um it's something that's really neat and i think it allows you to explore different avenues of attack and different avenues of defense you know where are the indians are you going to try to hold off the pakistanis as long as possible and you can put down these combat outposts that slow them down um yeah, I, I can't believe I forgot to talk about that. It's something I really liked about the game over the weekend is seeing how does how it's able to tell a different story each time you will play the game. That's really cool, and it's something that I love about um, the U.S. Civil War. I think um, I think those CS games do it as well. I'm really I'm really torn here where to put next war India Pakistan. Here's what I think. I think, for me, India-Pakistan is the perfect place to start with the series. I think that the other next war games will be better because you're going to introduce things like naval landings and amphibious assaults and aircraft carriers and naval units and all of these things that aren't present in next war India-Pakistan. And that's not really a knock on the game, but I think that allows me to find a home for it easier on this list. And I guess this is maybe not the most fair way to rank um, to rank this on on the every war game ever list. Um, but I think I'm going to put it third for now, with the anticipation that the other games will rank higher. So I think it would be the same thing like if I did uh, Reluctant Enemies, which I'm playing, although our game's been on hold for a little bit. My, my whole focus has kind of been on Next War over the last few weeks. Sorry, i got to get these rules down, play solo, all of that stuff. 
so like reluctant enemies i think ocs is a fantastic system but reluctant enemies is an introduction game and i don't and it so it takes out some things from the ocs game i don't think that's the same thing that's going on here with next war india pakistan but there are some elements missing from the new pakistan game largely the naval component and these different types of amphibious assaults so you, all, all of those things right which are largely all tied to to the navy so i think if i were to rank reluctant enemies i would have the same point that ocs as a whole is great but this entry probably isn't the best ocs entry and so just looking forward i don't think next war india pakistan is going to be the best next war entry on this list and so to me I'm going to put it behind Beyond the Rhine, which may be one of the best OCS games yet. I I think Korea, once it's all said and done, will probably play out as one of my favorites just by the nature of how the campaign develops and it kind of slow rolls and builds up. Anyways, I'm, I'm kind of going off on a tangent there um, and I'm taking way too long to, to plug this game on this super... Um, objective fair and, and well-balanced list but does that make sense i i hope it does um and i, I hope that's not a knock on the system obviously I'm, I'm really enjoying my time with next war um just so i'm recording on monday and i we wrapped up on sunday and i sent a message out to a guy already like hey let's do a full game i really want to see how this goes what the story is from beginning to end i want to see the indian army come back in force and Oh man, I can't even, I completely forgot to talk about the fact that you have nations getting involved with this conflict. So like in our game, China was all in and they were sending all kinds of stuff to, um, the Pakistanis on my end, the U S was involved, but they're kind of like, mm, like, here's some stuff, go use it. And it was a little slow burning. So at turn three and four, I was getting a lot of U S air forces and the, and the Indian, had a lot of reinforcements coming on, and so that's kind of cool. So anyways, I want to see it play out. Um, I really like the system, and I think, you know, if you go way back to April's episode where I talked about Battle Hymn, uh, I talked about Battle Hymn first, I ranked it in April, excuse me. Um, you can listen to either of those episodes. I really like Battle Hymn. I think it's a great entry for um, a chit pull game, all of that stuff. I am going to rank Next War India Pakistan as the third best war game ever made for now. And that's that. <clears throat> okay, this is actually a longer episode than I thought. I thought it was going to have a really short episode just talking about the game day and talking about Next War Con. So going forward, what do we have to look forward to? So um, if you're in the Kansas City area, our next game day is... Sunday, June 30th at 11 o'clock a.m. at Tabletop Game and Hobby. There's a thread over on Board Game Geek. I'll post the link in the show notes. You can go follow that. Check it out. Uh, I'm really looking forward to a four-player game of Angola, uh, but if that does not develop, I am still looking for an opponent for Line of Battle. Uh, we can do to take Washington, but so that's kind of my focus going forward. I'm, I'm finally going to dive into Line of Battle. Now that Next War is under my belt and I'm hopefully gearing up for a play by email game of that. I'm, I'm ready to move on to line of battle, finally learn those rules. So if you want to come play with me in Kansas city, come on down and do that. Uh, or if those games sound completely awful to you, come play whatever you want. Um, 
We had a wide variety of games played last weekend. Oh, we played uh, Time of Crisis. I will save that for next time because I have some more thoughts about Time of Crisis. I've been playing a Genesis game online. I'd like to... I understand that those are completely different time periods, but I, I think they do the same thing. Um, and I like one more than the other. So I will save that for next time, though. But that was another game that we played at uh, Kansas City Meetup. So if you're interested, if you're in the Kansas City area, if you are in Springfield or Columbia or St. Louis or Topeka or Wichita or wherever, Lincoln or Omaha or up in Iowa, come on down. Um, Sundays are a little shorter day cause they don't open until 11. They close at six, but you know, on Saturdays where they're 10 to nine all day. Uh, okay. I think this is a good place to wrap up. <clears throat> also, I'd love to hear feedback on the, I've got a new, uh, mic and mic stand and, and all that stuff. So if it sounds any different, if I need to make any adjustments, please let me know. I'll try to catch those things in the editing here at the end. All right that will do it as always if you have any questions or comments or you want to hear me rank a game on every war game ever list feel free to shoot me an email it's history table podcast at gmail.com history table podcast at gmail.com also i'm on twitter quite a bit you can find me at history table pod that's at history table pod got an instagram thing as well sure it's just history table podcast or something like that you should be able to find it uh yeah drop a comment let me know if you want to play a game anything like that and that's that folks all right we'll talk to you later